look, we're, we're a family of faith. We've always instilled that in our kids. Mm. And it just sort of, it did pay off that day too. And Layla just got on her knees and started praying. Mm. And I remember for myself, I had a, like an out-of-body experience where I looked, I looked at this from the top down. Mm. I could see everything that was happening was a disaster. And Layla just started praying and praying. I, I reached a point where you've got to imagine myself uh, six kids under mine, raising six children, mm. having a successful business. Everything I do, I'm in full control. Yeah. That one moment, I knew this was in my control. Mm. I was at a point where I had to surrender. I said, God, this is bigger than me. I surrender this to you. How do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left? What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with the ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Today, I feel blessed to sit down and have a conversation with an incredible human being who, along with his wife, has turned the pain of losing three of their beautiful children and niece through a tragic accident into a message of hope and forgiveness across the globe. An amazing person who is dedicated to shifting people's mindset of disappointment, bitterness, anger, separation, and hatred when things don't quite go to plan in this world to realize peace and joy through the power of forgiveness. There is nothing more healing or miraculous than a moment of reconciliation, a moment of forgiveness. As an established and highly successful business person, he is the co-founder, shareholder, and director of Rockform Group, a Sydney-based construction company. I'm honored and privileged to introduce to you a humble and deeply caring father, passionate Canary Bulldogs rugby league fan, and co-founder of the I Forgive Day Foundation, Danny Abdullah. Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a real pleasure to, to be speaking with you today. I think we first connected when I had the privilege to observe uh, and mentor you at the Speakers Institute Premier Boot Camp last year. And what I immediately noticed was your, your groundedness, your humility, uh, and your, your presence when you're with other people. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to going deeper today. Yes, that'll be great. Thank you, Craig. For you, what has been your most joyful experience of 2022? I think, look, coming, what's been my most joyful experience is 
come back to work and coming back to the team and not really starting from the, the top, starting, you know, in the trenches with the, with the team to see how, how it's all going with, with my, in terms of my work. Um, probably the highlight of 22 is my new baby daughter, yeah. Selena. Beautiful. So that's been absolutely great. And the kids are happy, Layla's happy, my wife, and we're pretty stoked after what we've experienced. Yeah. It's kind of like a new beginning in a way. It is a new chapter in life, and you do learn that, you know, the tragedy that, that we experienced in 2020, you know, losing three children in a, in a fatal accident, you learn that life doesn't wait for you. Mm. It doesn't sit there in grief and mourn. You have to keep going. And it was a great lesson for my other kids, Liana, Alex, and Michael, about things have happened. We need to keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're going we're gonna to dive a little bit deeper into that later on. But first, I, I want to take you back in time a little bit. Your childhood, um, for, where did you grow up and what filled your imagination uh, as a child? So I grew up in um, Blacktown, Quakers Hill. I don't know if you know where that is. That's sort of Western Sydney. My parents migrated, got married in Australia. I was born Australian-born Lebanese. But growing up in sort of a bit of a rough neighborhood, and it was pretty tough, you know, when you were younger, and there was a lot of racism mm. that, that I did cop, but, you know, I got through it, thank God. So. Yeah, and challenging. And so for them, what, why did your parents move across to Australia? What was the draw for them to move from Lebanon? I think the, Lebanon's very, there's a lot of corruption, and there was civil war at the time. Mm. In Lebanon, and, and you know, they came as as migrants, refugees, to, to come and live and start a new life. And I, you know, I look at people that are either refugees or migrants. I think they've got so much courage just mm. to pick up and leave. I could probably tell you, I'd say, mate, tomorrow I want you to go to a country where you don't know the language, and pick up everything and go across there and start a new life. I can guarantee you, eighty percent of us would probably say no, mm. but for them to do that to, to, for a better life. For the, for the greater good of their children, it's fantastic. Yeah, it takes courage uh, to do that. I think, look, you know, I'm in five, I've lived in five countries now and a couple of those have been non-English-speaking countries like Taiwan and uh, Saudi Arabia and, and Thailand. So I can understand the difference there. You know, for me, I wasn't leaving a country that had challenges. I left New Zealand, which is a beautiful country, but for me, it was more about exploring. So you know, for them, it was that, that ability to have hope in life and see and build a better future, I presume, for their children. Exactly. So it takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah. And, and for you, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, the racism that you had when you were young. Like, what got you through that? What sort of things kept you going when you were dealing with those tough challenges? I think, look, you know, my, my mum played a massive role. She never, ever made us play the victim card ever. Mm. She always, and because she suffered so much poverty, she made sure that, you know, you'd have to, you know, don't ever ask anyone for money, work hard. She gave us very, very strong work ethics because mm. she didn't want us to go through the same suffering that she had endured in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's beautiful. Uh, the, the gift of parents, I suppose, you know, you're always there to say, okay, how can... How come my children have a better life than what I have? Or how can they have more opportunities? 
yeah, my mum had a had a mentality of we had an Arabic proverb we'd say she'd always say whoever made me cry as a child made me laugh as an adult, and whoever made me laugh as a child would make me cry as an adult. In mm-hmm. other words, she would never spoil us. She would make sure that you know everything was up to scratch at home, and we'd always get up and have to you know do chores around the house and work and make sure that we got to school on time and. Yeah, so she was. She played a massive role. Yeah, yeah, and so during that time, you did you? You were into sport. What sort of things did you play? So as a child, I, I was into. I enjoyed my rugby league, yeah. but I wasn't allowed to play it. And ironically, I I got into kickboxing. <laughs> so <laughs> I enjoyed that a lot. I, I done that in my you know when I was eighteen, nineteen, and I trained and I fought about 16 times yep. and won two Australian titles and an East Coast title. Brilliant. Congratulations. Thank you. So, yeah. And for you, you know, obviously, obviously you got some talent if you can be an Australian champion or have Australian titles. You, What was it about the way you approach kickboxing that allowed you to succeed? What I learned from kickboxing is so applicable to life in itself. It's the little days that make the big day matter. Mm. And if you can enjoy the grind more than the glory, yeah. you will be successful. And when I left the fight game um, and applied it to my business world and family life, it it taught me how to achieve your goals and be successful. Mm. Brilliant. And it, so when you were going through this period, you know, you talked about your mum having quite a big influence on you. Was there some other, was there a role model uh, amongst your peers or in the community that was also had a huge influence on who you are now today? Yeah, I had a, I had a guy, a mentor, that when I was working in construction that I worked under him. And, you know, I always say to younger kids that are leaving school after uni, never choose a job, choose a boss mm. because they play a massive role. Don't chase the money, find someone and let them mentor you, let them follow, follow suit on what they, what they are. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. That's great. And what was, it, what was it about that boss that really, you know, built that connection with you? I think before I, before I met him, I was a bit of a, a rat bag kid, always in trouble, up to no good. But he, he just said to me, whatever you put your mind to, you can do Mm. You can, whatever you put your head to, you can do anything you want as long as you put your mind to it. And hearing those words, especially growing up on the other side of the tracks, you don't hear any positive, much positive words. It actually encouraged me. I go, really? goes, yes. And it was more than just work. He had, his family values were strong. Mm. Um, his integrity was really well as well. And growing up in Blacktown, you know, it was very, it was the norm, you know, if someone had something like a, you know, uh, a stolen tool, they'd come up, you want to buy it, I've got a half price. And he taught me, he goes, no, no, we don't buy stolen things. Mm. Uh, it's karma. You you buy something stolen, something will get stolen from you. And they're the, they're the values that he instilled in me. I thought, wow, that's so true. Mm. What goes around comes around. And he taught me, no, you don't do that sort of stuff. And, and it really, um, you know, put things into a different perspective. Yes, yeah, so he put you on the right track, so to speak. And Absolutely, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, uh, so was that your first paid job, working for that, that person, or had you done some other work prior? I, 
I had worked with another company, uh, but it was like he was a different type of boss. He, he, he wouldn't pay. He was um, really struggled with his business, and mm. I learned the hard way. And I lost some money as a kid, as an apprentice. He didn't, I didn't get paid for my all my work I did with him. Yeah. So I moved on to this this boss that I stayed with for about probably nine to ten years. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. brilliant. And then. You know, did you find yourself, you know, you talked about, you know, times of a little bit of a trouble there and on the wrong side of the tracks. Did you find yourself as a natural leader or follower? I was probably a natural, more of a natural leader. Mm. People followed me. So even in the streets, they did. Yeah. Well. Yeah, so you're the one up there who's who had that influence on people. Uh, and so was it was it around that time with the boss that you're, you've kind of found your life change and you were able to really stay focused Um shift more into that mentality of you know growth with the business etc as well so what happened i i was a juvenile as a kid mm. i had about probably five or six assault charges i was 15 16 just doing random things people who were you know just a group of kids taking you know trying to make a dollar here and there yeah. i snapped out of that and i realized that quite quickly I realized that these people weren't my friends. They were just there sort of to use you. Mm. And then when I got this job with this mentor of mine, my whole life changed. He, yeah. he showed me, you know, family values, work ethic. And I was kickboxing at the time. I sort of cleaned myself up. So I would work all day and then I would train in the evenings. And that taught me a lot as well, especially about business. Because I would say to myself, my day begins at 3.30 p.m. Mm. And what that meant was everything I did at 3.30 didn't matter because I had to get ready for training. Yeah. And then when I wanted to start my own business and I stopped kickboxing, my day began at 3.30. So I would work from 3.30 to 10.30 at night every day after work because I was conditioned because of my, mm. my kickboxing yeah, which is interesting. And so that decision to go in and, and set up your own business and develop Rockform, you know, it's it's nearly two decades now since you started that. What was the kind of attraction for you to actually own your own business or catalyst behind that? I had a passion for form work. I still do. And, you know, I just, I used to love form work and I used to say to my brother and one of my best mates, one day I want to have the biggest form work company. Remember, they laughed at me. We always look back at it. They, they laughed at me and said, mate, how are you going to do that? That's impossible. I said, you'll see. And I ended up achieving that. Mm. But um, it's something that I've always wanted to do. So it's, it's not about the money. It was more about the dream, fulfilling the dream. Yeah. And it's so important. And I suppose, you know, with your with your children, you talk about, um, you know, I presume, you know, do you spend a lot of time with them? You know, saying, hey, look, you know, it's, it's important to dream and, and think about what do you want to do rather than following what other people do in this world. That's so important to, to even to teach your kids, and, you know, to dream, dream big. And I always say to younger kids, you know, always dare to dream. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't, don't feel that, you know, people will put you off when you say, this is my dream. Just, you know, dream and, and try and achieve it. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Yeah, having that focus. Uh, so, to give our listeners a bit of an understanding, you know, what does Rockform do? You know, how big is your team? So, Rockform Group is a construction company, Formwork. 
So form if we do suspended concrete slabs for high-rise buildings, mm. residentials, like big jobs, four or five hundred unit jobs. We specialise in that in the in the structure industry. And yeah, there's about probably at the moment look, we've we've had up to six hundred staff. At the moment it's a bit quiet. We're about two hundred. Yeah. And yeah, it's probably better managed that way. Mm. And yeah, it's it's pretty full on when it comes to it's very labour intensive because it's you know the construction industry. So, mm. so we started with I started in two thousand and four would have been two thousand and four with an old Datsun Ute <laughs> and a prayer, and me and my business partner had two thousand dollars each. We went to the timber supplier. I remember at the time it would have been I asked him for an account and. He said, look, I said, mate, I'm starting out. I need an account. Can you help us out? Because I would drive across the coast of Narrabeen and Manly and Doorknock mm. to try and get work on homes. He goes, look, I'll give you an account, the timber supplier. And uh, he'll never forget. He always shares the story with people. I remember I looked at his bin and he had some little off-cut plywood. And I said to him, man, do you mind if I jump in your bin? Is that all rubbish? He goes, yeah, that's all rubbish. I go, do you mind if I jump in your bin? And take the off-cut plywood. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I remember we backed the little Datsun Ute up <laughs> and me and Thomas are in the bin taking all these scraps and look, it's been 20 years, we're probably his biggest client yeah. to date. So <laughs> we walked in there and jumped in his bin and started there, humble beginnings and there <laughs> and we're probably one of his biggest clients today. So, yeah. <laughs> what, a great, what a great story and... Uh, you know, from that, and obviously you talked about now growing that to 600 people and we're sitting here in Sydney and, and obviously those listening can probably hear the airplanes going above and uh, the beautiful birds in the background here, but, um, you know, what do you enjoy most about leading people in your team? I enjoy bringing the best out of people. Mm. I enjoy empowering, encouraging, upskilling. I find so much satisfaction in that. The buildings are the easy part. Building buildings are the easy part. It's just, um, as a leader, I enjoy changing people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, obviously from a, when you talk about your rock form, your construction there, it's, it's kind of setting the foundations or laying the foundations, solid foundations for the building, the high rises. And, you know, when you talk about your leading people there, you know, you're helping them develop their foundations for their future. Because I imagine a lot of your staff would be, in many cases, the new staff would be fairly young, um, probably in their careers. Would that be true? That's correct. Yeah. So, look, I think the unique thing about Rockform, my first worker uh, in 2004 is actually my CEO today. Yeah, of course. And the that. first six workers that have came and worked for us are still with us today. And all of them have been upskilled from laborers to, to, to carpenters, to, to foremans, to now construction managers, uh, CEOs. So I, I, I find so much more joy in, in upskilling because I know how you think. And, you know, I always say if you build people, they'll build those buildings that they're trying to achieve. Mm. What a great, great philosophy on that. So if I was to, you know, you talked about those six employees that have been there 18 years now, mm. uh, one of them CEO, how would they describe your leadership style? I think my... How would they describe my leadership style? It's all about I empower and encourage them to do mm. the work and just guide them. 
and when there's a mistake, you just dust it off and, and keep going. I always say to my staff, I'd rather you make the wrong decision than no decision. Yeah. Because the wrong will lead to the right, but no decision will, will, will have no decision, nothing will happen. Yeah. So, you know, if you can make a wrong decision and fix it up immediately, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a better outcome than no decision. Mm. You can't learn anything from doing nothing. No, exactly. <laughs> Which I think is really, really important. But, uh, when you think about your leadership over that time, what has been the area that you've had to work on the most? You know, especially as the company went from you know, a couple of people through to you know, 600 people, what aspect have you had to develop or has it just been kind of natural for you just to lead the company? I think we've had to learn um, when a company grows, it's pretty unorthodox. You're doing this, you're fixing that, you're putting out fires. And I think we've had to learn to structure everything a lot better, mm. to line everyone up and make sure that you know, all the processes are good. And, and, and it's, but we don't want to make it too rigid as well. Yeah, so you've got to have some sort of flexible boundaries in a way. Correct. To the business. Correct. Yeah, you can't over, overly structure the business and then you'll lose the love as well. This becomes like, you know, you become another number. We're trying our best to keep it as as a family business, although it's so big. And even with my senior staff, I think the first thing I do when I interview someone um, and I say to them, look, if your son's getting an award at school, I would expect you to be there and make it up later. Mm. I'm all about family because I know if their family life is good, productivity will be a lot better. Mm. It's, you know, when we talk about performance of someone, we have to take into consideration the whole aspects of life because work is part of their life. Mm. Uh, so I think that's a, it's a great way to look at it. Now, the last couple of years, with uh, it's been a challenging time for business. Uh, for you, how has the company managed COVID and the restrictions that have been in place? And uh, in, now we're getting a lot of, we had a lot of rain in Sydney, which is quite unusual uh, this year as well. So how has that affected the approach of the business and you know, have you had to downsize during that time? We, we made a few tough choices. We had to downsize and get rid of all the fat and the meat, as mm. they say. And, um, we, 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 made, we did that. And then we started to get momentum in February and then this rain just... I've never seen, in all my years of construction, I've never seen rain like this before. Yeah. And now we're just trying to, you know, get through this rain and get momentum again because momentum's everything mm. in business. It's um, it's like a, you know, those big trains, the freight trains. Yeah. Once they start pulling, and you get momentum, the back trailers start pushing you. Yeah. And we're trying to get that momentum back on again. Get the wheels we're, rolling. We're getting there to get the wheels rolling. Yeah. And. Obviously, uh, and I know that you took a bit of time out during the last couple of years, and we'll, we'll talk about that later, but for your CEO and your executive team, for them, did, what was the biggest shift for them in leading the people during that time where you had to downsize, where they're dealing with COVID and, and lots of challenges? Was there some big lessons learned there from the team that can be applied, that, that, that have now become part of the business going forward? Yeah, there was a few lessons learned. And back to what I said, you know, a lot, a lot more structured. Mm. Uh, working from home, there's a few with the team. Um, you know, running everything a lot more disciplined. I think COVID taught us that because we realised there wasn't that leeway for, for, for error. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So 
2020, uh, Australia, especially New South Wales, were dealing with devastating bushfires. You know, we kind of woke up to that. Um, what were you excited about for 2020 at the beginning? Look, I was excited about, you know, my kids growing into high school and becoming my friends. The business was going in the right direction where we were going into that T1, T2 space. So things were going so well. And, you know, we had, I had my, my 2020 goals was to, you know, coach my son's basketball team. Our personal goals, my business goals was to maybe potentially go interstate yep. and, and start my business maybe, you know, Melbourne or Canberra at the time. And, and you know, further more T1 work and T2 work mm. at the time. That's what, that's what I was thinking about in 2020. Yeah, so it's, uh, some big goals there. And... Um, First of February, 2020, your, your family's life changed uh, a lot. Take us through that day. February, 1st of February, 2020, was by far the hardest day of my life. I was going to my cousin's daughter's 21st birthday and we had babysat. All my relatives, like my nieces and nephews, they were coming over to get babysat. So there was Anthony, my eldest, Angelina, my number two, Liana, number three, Sienna, number four, Michael and Alex, five and six. They were babies at the time. Yeah. My six children, um, my niece and nephew, Mabel and Charbel, and my cousin Bridget, mm. the daughter of Veronique. They were all at our house. My wife and I were getting dressed. And it was a hot summer's day. Well, yeah. It was, it was about 6.30, I think it would have been. And the sun's out. You know, the sun would set in February about 8 o'clock. Told the kids to go for a walk and get some ice cream. And there were seven kids that went for a walk. And as they walked, a drunk and drug driver jumped on the footpath. And he ran, mowed them down, seven children. Mm. And I remember the court said the impact was at 130 kilometers. Wow. My, I get the phone call. My bell, my niece, you know, screaming and carrying on. She rang her mum, please come, something's happened. I'm driving there thinking that, you know, one of the kids got hit by a car or something and I was a bit nervous. Mm. But coming to that accident, the tragedy, I don't want to call it an accident, hmm. is, is unforgettable. It, it was, I remember there was a man that came running to me. He was, he was just staring. He couldn't do anything. And he saw me as a friend of mine because we were in the same neighborhood. He goes, Danny, Danny, thank God you hear me. We need to find out who these kids' parents are. And I looked straight in the eyes and said, these are my children. And he just was taken back. And... I remember, you know, seeing your kids dead, three of them, and your, your cousin and Veronique. Just witnessing that, I was in a place of shock. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? And Liana, she had a cut on her face, running around, crying. You know, she just she just witnessed three of her siblings dead, and mother. That day was um, 
Yeah, still I look back, it's so unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's hard for any person to kind of fathom what's what you go through at that time and um, you've got your wife Layla there as well. How how did she react in that moment? Layla, look, we're, we're a family of faith. And we've always instilled that in our kids. Mm. And it just sort of, it did pay off that day too. And Layla just got on her knees and started praying. Mm. And I remember for myself, I had a, like an out-of-body experience where I looked, I looked at this from the top down. Mm. I could see everything that was happening was a disaster. And Layla just started praying and praying. I, I reached a point where you've got to imagine myself of six kids under nine, raising six children, mm. having a successful business. Everything I do, I'm in full control. Yeah. That one moment, I knew this was in my control. Mm. I was at a point where I had to surrender. I said, God, this is bigger than me. I surrender this to you. In saying that, I'm looking, looking, looking. They've all, they all died instantly. Mm. Couldn't do anything about it. But then I realized I need to take control of what I can control, which was my daughter, Liana, and Layla, and the other kids. I remember grabbing an ambulance phone. I said, Layla, please go to the hospital. She said, yeah, yeah, are the kids going to come back? I said, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I had to say to her that because I needed to give her that reassurance she was asking for. Mm. She jumped in the, in the ambulance. And I remember there was more ambulances coming, police, police. Next minute, there was some tape. became a crime scene. Mm. Four children dead. I'm still thinking and ringing my brother... And ringing my, my father in law, please, I need just to come down. This has happened. And I remember what came to me, and you look from a distance, and you see the police covering each body with a blanket. Oh. I jumped in the car. And I remember there's a relative, family friend of mine, actually, my cousin. Tim Manor, who was a footy player, for mm. the Parramatta Eels, he, he, he took me straight to the hospital. And Layla goes, where's the kids? I said, they're gone. She goes, no, they're not. I said, no, they're gone. They're not coming back. They died. She wouldn't believe me. She was in denial. And then when she saw the priests coming to the hospital, she collapsed. And she went she got really upset, screaming. Mm. And then I think as a father, what I witnessed was hard and difficult. But what really, really, really hurt me, I had to tell my daughter Liana that she just lost her siblings. Imagine, you know, I was the dad. I'm a very masculine, strong-headed mm. dad. You know, if they fell, I'd catch them. If something they needed, I would always stand by them. And she, I remember, she goes, where's the kids? Where's, my, where's Anthony, Angelina, and Sienna and Veronica? I said, they're next door, they're in the room next door. 
And then the, the nurse came up to me. She said, don't lie to your daughter. If you lie, she's not going to trust you anymore. Mm. And then I had to go and face the music. And that, even to this day, I find that was the hardest, hardest moment to tell her. And when I told her, she said, name by name. I said, Liana, Anthony and Janine and Sina have gone to be with God. She goes, no. She goes, Anthony. I said, yes. Angelina. Yes. Sienna. Yes. I just started crying. I said, I don't want to be the oldest in the family. No. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't accept it. And that hurt. And it still does to this day. I'm a dad. I'm happy to feel the pain and carry the pain. But it's nothing worse than seeing your kids go through that sort of pain. Mm. And that was the 1st of February. Do do you think the challenges you had in your youth um, and even kickboxing helped you prepare you for that day somewhat or is it just something that you cannot prepare for? I think I've lived a very uncomfortable life when I look back. Being a juvenile as a kid, leaving that, working in construction, tough job, formal concreting, and, and training kickboxing, then then having six kids under the age of nine and building a business from two staff to 600, it does condition you. Yeah. I think it helped me understand. It didn't prepare me for this. Nothing can prepare yeah. for this. But it helped me to understand that, you know what, you, 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 in life, no matter what hits you, you either, you know, I've, I've heard it, I don't know where I heard it, you're either a thermostat or a thermometer. Mm. You either, you know, become a thermometer and, and, and rise with the temperature or become a thermostat. And when the temperature hits high, just quit calming everyone down. And when you live a life of hardship, you, you start to become conditioned and, and learn that, you know, to panic, it doesn't help. You've just got to remain calm, no yeah. matter what the, what the situation is. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, very challenging and, you know, I suppose what was interesting from that is your is your wife's ability and, and yours as well to be able to forgive. Um, you're obviously never going to forget. No. And, and there's 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 justice and forgiveness, but the ability to forgive so quickly is probably not something most people would think of. They would be quite angry for a long time. I would imagine in the situation. Um, how long did that take to be able to stand up and go, you know, I forgive the driver for what he's done? Look, for me, later forgave straight away and I wasn't surprised because mm. of our family. and we were, we were a big family, so, you know, the bigger the family, the bigger the problem. We've got extended family and you learn how to forgive in that space a lot because uh, you deal with different personalities. Mm. But, you know, Layla forgave because of our faith and I forgave as well because of our faith. But more importantly as well, why forgive? I never understood the science behind forgiveness. Mm. And we forgave for the greater good of our children. I already sat there and looked and thinking, I've just lost half my family. How can I maintain the rest? Mm. How can I keep my house together? It's like losing half your house just got demolished. How can you keep the foundation? 
And it's only through forgiveness, letting go. I can't change what happened. Yeah. And you have to pick that up quite quickly. Otherwise, if you don't, you know, generational trauma will impact. Mm. It's, it's sometimes you, what I've learned in this, it's not what happens to you, it's actually how you respond determines where you end up. And for us, I needed to forgive because of Liana, Alex and Michael. They were mm. watching your dad. Keeping your dad hat on. Yeah. Keeping your leader hat on because you had to get everyone out of this valley of grief, this mm. valley of pain and suffering. I didn't want to sit there for too long. I know where I was and I acknowledged it. And, and I had to sit there, but okay, what do I do? I need to get my family out of this. I need to get not just my family, the community out of this. Yeah. And it was only through the power of forgiveness. You realize it takes more strength to forgive than, than seek revenge as well. Yeah. well. What I've realized sitting here is, you know, your business name is Rockform, and it, it's as though you're the rock of the family, you're the rock of your business. And as we'll talk a bit about later on, you're now becoming a rock in the community as well. Um, it's quite a central connection for you there. Look, you know what happened to me in February 2020? My staff, they all stepped up, mm. working hour, relentless hours. And what I have learned as a leader, a lot of leaders out there, all they put is their business first, their stomach first. But they don't realize when their darkest hour comes, it's not if, it's when, will they stand by you? Mm. If you look at the funeral, I had 200 men side by side wearing white shirts in honor of my children at the funeral. My CEO today, Michael, he never left my side. He was at the cemetery, he'd come back. I had so much in, in, the, in, in, in my work, no one lifted, no one done the bolt. They yeah. actually propped my business up. But it comes down to the little things that I used to do. If someone bought a house, we would give them stamp duty interest free. Yeah. And you know, if someone died overseas, a family mother or something, we would all contribute money. It wasn't about the buildings for me as a boss, it was about the people. Yeah. And and I think I got that back and returned when the tragedy occurred. Yeah. And it's always you always ask yourself, you know, you invest in people that'll be with you in your darkest hour. And that's what I learned from the streets. Yeah. You learn that and um, you ask yourself, who's going to stand by you in your toughest times? Because in the good times, everyone's around you. Of course. So I always find people and say, you know, this person will stand by me in my worst yeah. time. And I've been through it and the people I've chose are still with me. That whole, the importance as a leader to create a space of belonging and a, and a sense of belonging. Uh, and, and it really shines through there when you, with the, where everyone coming together even closer, but it's because you created that space beforehand to feel like, you know what, hey, it's more than just, uh, I'm more than just an asset to the business. I'm actually a human being and we're part of something together and growing together. Exactly. We, we would, um, a lot of my senior staff, my business partner and I, we, we bought a farm. Yeah. And we go out there, we take us guys and, you know, we you know, go driving and bushwalking and stuff like that. And they're the investments that, that they appreciate. You know, whenever there's a, 
one of my foremans or something has, has personal problems or family problems, we would send out a life coach yeah. to go to the husband and wife mm. to sit there and resolve it because we know what importance it is to make sure that the family balance is good with the work balance. And we got it back, you know, after the after what happened with myself, everyone stepped up. Mm. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Mm. It's, yeah, it's beautiful to hear that. And you, you talked about one of the you know things that have really shone through for you in 2020 is the birth of your new baby girl, which is 2022, yeah. 2022, which is really recent. And um, I read that you talked about you know we dare to dream again and give the children new purpose in life or give the family new purpose in life. Uh, can you share with us kind of how that has really shaped it? You know. As I walk through your house, I can still see that you haven't remo- you know, moved on from the children um, that have passed away. They're still here with you. But this newborn, the gift from above, so to speak, is giving you that new purpose. So what happened, I spoke to Layla about having more children. She wanted to have more children. Mm. Like I said, raising kids is contagious. They do what you do, not what you say. And I said, later we need to do this to show our children that you know life can be tough, but don't give up. Yeah. And then when baby Selena, we had the we, we tried to have a child in 2020. Layla fell pregnant in August, and she had a miscarriage. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So you know that would have knocked anyone. It did knock us about mm. big time. But we looked at each other and we stayed focused. She fell pregnant in June 21. COVID, it was a COVID lockdown, so <laughs> COVID, <laughs> baby. Well, COVID baby. <laughs> and then when the baby was born, I remember taking Liana out for dinner two days later. I said, honey, let's go for, you know, for a feed. And she was in the accident. She witnessed everything. Mm. So she's the one that, you know, was close to my heart when it comes to resilience. And I sat with her and I said, Liana, what did you learn? What did you learn over the last two years? What you've experienced losing Anthony, Angelina, and Sienna, and now having baby Selena at home. So, Dad, I've learned, you know, never to give up. And Mum and you, especially Mum, she's inspired me so much. Mm. And I'm so happy to hear that. And and it comes back to where we, we chose to forgive. If we were able to forgive, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. It's um and Liana wouldn't be able to speak. Liana didn't forgive in the beginning. She didn't have to forgive. I didn't ask her to. I said, listen, mum and I are forgiving the driver, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. And she came up to us a couple of months later. She said, dad, I forgive him, but I don't like him. Mm-hmm. I said, that's fine. You don't have yeah. to like him. Because forgiveness is for the forgiver more than the forgiven. People think that I'm going to forgive you. I don't, I don't, well, you don't deserve it, but you deserve peace as mm-hmm. a person. So we spoke about that and it really, I felt so happy to see that she's on the right path. She, she gets you know, what she wants. She understands that yeah. I'm never to give up and, and life can be tough. Not to just throw the towel. Yeah, because you know, for people who don't forgive, they tend to hold on Absolutely. to this pent-up energy and it's toxic and it's, it, in most cases it, it, it will hold you back. It, it stops you from living. It stops you from progressing as a human being. It robs you of your potential. Mm. 
people will dare to dream, but if they have an unforgiving heart, there's so much more obstacles that they need to let go, wash their hands and say, you know what, I'm going to forgive them mm. for my sake and for their sake. So we've been, later on I've been taught in faith, in any faith really, you have to forgive, you have to forgive, you have to forgive, you have to forgive, but no one asks why. But from our personal experience, I'm probably sharing the science behind it and the parallels with, with mental health. Mm. You know, I remember there was a man that shared with me a story about you know, having a forgiving heart. You know, they say a person's heart comes out on their face when they're in their 60s and 70s. Someone has an unforgiving heart. You see those miserable-looking older people? Mm. And then you see those guys that glow. That glow. Yeah. And you know that their heart's been cleaned. They've forgiven constantly, constantly, constantly. And you can see their heart coming out on their face. So important for yourself to forgive. And, mm. and that's my wife and I are, are actually, you know, sending that humanitarian message out. Mm. That's a beautiful message. It, it, I was just thinking back, you know, the last sort of oh, probably five, ten years has been a, a big kind of... Um, progress i suppose in the world around the importance of gratitude and being grateful but forgiveness like gratitude's great right yes i'm happy for this or i'm grateful for this but that whole forgiving and letting go combined with the gratefulness is the future i I agree yes because you've got to get that off your chest you can be as grateful as you want but if you've got something holding you back Mm. you're opposite because that that unforgiveness actually controls how you feel during the day. You can yeah. come, if you have an unforgiving heart, you're upset with your brother, and you haven't forgiven him. As soon as that thought comes into your head, bang, you start feeling down, mm. you start feeling sad, and it affects you emotionally. And with forgiveness, it's about letting go and releasing yourself and freeing yourself from that anger, bitterness, and revenge, mm. and freeing them as well. Yeah, I, I, it's it's amazing. Have, have you? I suppose on the, I know you you spoke to the father of um, the person that was driving the car that day, and I know that you forget you talked to him around. How was that moment when you when you shared with him that you forgave his son? So we were at court, I think, and we were on one side, me and my family, and. Mm. And I remember the driver's father and his family on the other side. And then Layla said, that's the parents of the driver. So me, I think I've learned, you know, I love confrontation. It's very healthy. Mm. And that's how I've learned probably being conditioned. That's been conditioned over the years, especially in business. I walked straight up to him, pulled my hand out and said, hello. And he said to me, I'm so sorry for what's happened. And really, really sorry. I said, well, yeah, I know. And, and I'm sorry for you as well. You lost your daughter with cancer and now you've lost your son. Yeah. We're both grieving parents. He goes, yeah, but yours is far worse. And then we spoke. And we spoke about just the, the case and and that was it, really. And mm-hmm. we knew we were forgiven, but I never really declared it to him when mm-hmm. I spoke. It was about more about the, the court case at the time. Yeah. So it was a brief conversation, but I will probably meet up with him day yeah yeah challenging and that moment were were you kind of at peace when you were in the court case or was that kind of a challenging tension at that time the court case for me i never went to any of the court cases Mm. 
because I, I really literally let go, I forgave, I can move on. Mm. The sentencing, I remember my wife wanted to go and I said, look, I'll come and support you. Mm. We went to the court case. It wasn't uncomfortable because I wasn't too concerned what he was going to get. Yeah. If he got one day or if he got 100 years or even if he got the death sentence, it didn't phase me because to satisfy what my, my pain is is to get my kids back. Okay. And that's not going to happen, is it? Mm. So if he gets 100 years or if he gets a day, the pain's going to remain for me. Mm. So I didn't. It didn't phase me whatsoever. So I'd done a victim statement mm. where I, I shared with him how what he put me through. And that was good. I let that off my chest. So I remember Liana at the courts. Liana was there and she had seen the driver. She said to her auntie, I feel so sorry for you. Did you have to get a long sentence? And my aunt, my that was my sister-in-law. Mm. She came up and told me what Liana had said. And as a father, I felt like I've done my job. Yeah. She doesn't have anger, bitterness, or revenge. In and if we could teach all our kids how to forgive and how to move on, I can guarantee you the next generation will be a totally different place. Mm. Is this a, a missing part of children's education at school, do you think? Yes, it is. And I think... They need to learn. And you know what? In saying that, kids forgive pretty quickly. They do. It's the parents that hold the grudge. <laughs> so I think it's a missing part of the <laughs> parents' uh, education. Yeah. And more importantly, which we haven't touched on, is I think first and foremost, forgiving yourself. Mm. Like people tend to forget to do. Yeah, I know in certain situations where there is tragedy, uh, I've seen a lot of parents who take the burden on themselves, they go, it's my fault in those situations. And I, I just sit there and go, you've done what you possibly can. Sometimes things happen in life that you, as you say, can't control. You can control the response to it, but you can't control how it actually happens. Um, uh, yeah, I, I recall, I was going to go for a walk. Yeah. I really had to forgive myself. My wife and I had that conversation. And, you know, I said to her, that was their time. If they were at the cinemas, they would have died. Mm. Because that was their time on this earth. Mm. So we've all got a time. And, and I believe that there is a time, a date and time on all our hearts, written on all our hearts. And no matter what you do, you can't resist that. That's, that's your time, that's your time. And that, that's the way my wife and I have, have looked at it as well. Mm. And just to approach every day is uh, and make the most of it. Correct. Most of every day. The from here, you know, one one year on from it in 2020, uh, you set up the I Forgive Foundation was launched, and the I Forgive Day. Uh, how did that come about? I mean, obviously, forgiving was a natural part of Layla, and and you were able to take that on, but. Where did you get to that process where you're like, you know what, we need to actually establish a day here and then the foundation? So we were at Parliament House. It would have been probably four months after the tragedy. And they had just done a new law called the Four Angels League. So our kids are called the Four Angels. People know them as the Four Angels, the ones that... Mm. Our kids and Veronique as well. So the Minister of 
Road and Transport just announced if you get caught with mid-range drink driving, mid-range alcohol reading, you're allowed to get drug tested. And if you get caught with both, it's like a quadruple charge. Mm. It's a massive fine. So they were announcing that at Parliament House in New South Wales, in State Parliament House. And my wife and I were there with Bridget and Craig. And later said, can I see the Premier? They said, yeah, that's fine. So the Premier at the time was Gladys Berejiklian. Mm -hmm. We went and saw her and, and Layla said, asked her and said, can we please have, you know, in remembrance of our children on the 1st of February? Because we, we knew the actual impact of the forgiveness, how it impacted millions of people mm -hmm. across the world. Layla asked, can we please have a day called I Forgive Day in honour of the children? Wow. And, you know, Gladys straight away said, yes, we will be honoured. It was the 1st of February 2021 and the Prime Minister found out about it and the launch. Him and his family came, the Premier came, there was other dignitaries that came and supported that. And what it was, we wanted to launch it, it's a conversation about forgiveness. Mm. It becomes a day where people talk about forgiveness. Why forgive? How does it look like? How does it feel? And, you know, we've got the website I forgive with the number four I with the number four mm. give.com and there's a lot of resources and, and and you know knowledge about forgiveness. So it teaches us how to forgive, how to forgive. Mm. Then a year later, which is February 2022, we've got I Forgive Week. Mm. So that that year we had communities reach out to us, we had the prisons. They wanted to be part of I Forgive. We had members of the Indigenous that wanted to be part of I Forgive. Uh, we had the Islamic community. We had Imams that endorsed I Forgive. And we had rabbis from the Jewish community that mm. wanted to be part of I Forgive. And we had Christian leaders as well that are part of I Forgive. So this, week, this year we had I Forgive, which is 2022. We had I Forgive Week, which was... I think it was the Tuesday, we remembered the children. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, there was stuff, there was, there was all across the schools, the public schools, the, you know, the Christian schools as well. There was I Forgive Friday, which all the mosques spoke about forgiveness. Yeah. I Forgive Sabbath, which is I Forgive Sunday. The synagogues spoke about forgiveness. And then there was I Forgive Sunday, where all the churches across Australia more than 1,100 churches, not sure how many, but spoke about forgiveness and the message of forgiveness. So this is this is not just a Christian message, it's a humanitarian mm. message that that spoke that week about forgiveness. And we heard a lot of stories about people forgiving family members and friends and, and how, how it felt. Mm. It, I think with leadership, a lot of the time people think that you need to work to be a leader. And true leaders are leaders without trying to work. It just happens. And in this, you know, you've gone from uh, leading you know, your, your business to leading, or even before then, leading your own life, right? Your destiny as a kickboxer and how you change, and then leading in business to leading in family to 
now falling into that place where you're leading humanity in a really important conversation uh, and action that's shifting the way that we think about life, that the mindset change we're able to do, uh, it's very powerful. And, and I suppose it's probably not something that you ever set out to do. You probably just wanted to change one person. Uh, it must be so humbling to kind of sit back and reflect on where it's heading now. It is, it, it is sometimes I look back and think, wow, look at this, look what's happened. You know, turning a tragedy into a miracle. Mm. And, you know, this year we're invited to the Vatican to share our story with the Pope. Which is well, we've been humbled and overwhelmed with this, mm. and you know it, it teaches. You know, you know, you learn in life that we're all called to suffer. Mm. We all will suffer. We all go through some hardship in life. It's but, but, but it's what do you do with that suffering? What do you do with that pain? What do you do with that grief? And just do good, because you're not going to change it by doing by numbing the pain. But you're better off trying to carry yourself with dignity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for those, for people out there who are listening to this and are, and are trying to, you know, they've obviously been holding on to a grudge for a while or there's something that they've got tension with, what are some simple steps that they can take or simple actions they can do to be able to forgive someone? I think you got to, Acknowledge what's happened. That's one step. Acknowledge this person has done this. Um, you need to accept you can't change the past. Mm. You can't. I accept what's happened. I don't accept. I don't commend what they've done. I don't ex- agree with what they've done, but I have to accept that they've done that. Mm. And when you can acknowledge and accept, then you can say, you know what, I forgive him or her. Mm. For the greater good, what's the greater good? For the greater good of my children, for the greater good of my sanity, for the greater good of my well-being. There's a lot of things you can find that will give you purpose to forgive. It's so important. Yeah, it is. It's really, really important. The So your purpose in life has gone to a whole new level now. You know, a, a huge shift in that. So... You know, you're talking about being speaking in front of the Pope and religious leaders there. You've got the I Forgive Day. How else do you plan to share the message of forgiveness around the world? What's next for you? We're, look, we're in discussions with um, communities. We're talking to the indigenous community as well. There's been, um, I got interviewed on Kuru Radio about forgiveness and helping them understand that you know, for as long as you don't forgive your past, you'll never reach your greatness as a community. Mm-hmm. Regardless whether you're Indigenous, Lebanese, Maori, you need to forgive for the greater good of your, mm-hmm. your community. And that's been going well. It's um, mm-hmm. actually in a discussion to teach uh, other communities the importance of it. And like I said before, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to it mm-hmm. that'll impact yourself and generations because things happen we all we all go through some stuff in life but it's how you respond yeah is is is, the, is important yeah we're all we're all uh, extremely grateful for the way that you have responded to the situation um not only for yourself so that you can have some peace 
Um, but the way that you're providing hope to the rest of the world, the way that you're providing a, a way that people can live a better life. Um, you're obviously, you know, there's things that happen in our life that we can't control, that we will not forget and we shouldn't forget. But the way we respond to it allows us to live our next part of our life. Exactly. You know, I had a, I don't know if I had a, like the the light in my brain struck. I was driving actually on the freeway. Look, I cry a lot when Mm. I think about my kids. You know, all that I'm sharing with you, my heart's broken and it always will be. Even when we had the baby, Selena, I looked at Lena and we both spoke and said, look, that void in our heart will never get filled. And we've accepted that. And she cries and I cry and we go through a lot of pain. But I was driving on the freeway and it was like God spoke to me. And he said, Danny, I'll share with you what he said to my heart. He said, Danny, in order for you to live a good life, you have to look at life as if you're driving a vehicle. You're driving to your destination. We're all driving to that destination. And then he spoke to me, he said, your past needs to be the size of the rearview mirror and your present and future needs to be the size of the front screen. And for as long as you have it that way, you can live life. Mm. Your past isn't for you to remember everything. Your past determines who you become. It It gives you that character on who you become as a leader, as a father, as a husband, as a friend, as a person. And also, so, and then, then he said to me, then your kids aren't behind you. They're actually in front of you. So our attitude, my wife and I, is every day is a day closer to seeing them. Mm. It was the two-year anniversary. We looked at each other and said, it's two years closer to seeing them again. Beautiful. And that's the attitude that you have to have in order mm. to, to, to live a, a life full of abundance and a life that where you can maximize your potential. No, I, you're leaving a great legacy and not only your family but in the rest of the world and uh, I just thank you for that it's it's amazing uh, we all know smart people have great answers but the most successful people in life ask great questions when was the last time you did something for the first time would have been about probably a month ago or two months ago yeah I, my kids are doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. the younger boys, and I've always thought, I better learn this so I can roll with them when they're older. <laughs> so I've done that for the first time. Oh, that, was, that was a struggle. <laughs> I love it. I love the answer. Uh, what is the one question you would love to solve? What is the one question I would love to solve? In other words... With the world, you're saying? In anything. How can I... So the question I would love to solve, I don't know if I've solved it or not. That's a good, that's a good question to ask. What's the one question you would love to solve? How can I live an abundant life in the midst of great suffering? Mm, great question. I really like that. It's a good question. 
How would you describe an inspiring great leader and who is a great example of this in your world or the world right now? Look, I've got multiple leaders, but one that sticks out is um, I do like his, I, I read a lot of his, not a lot, I read some. I'm being busy at being a dad, I don't get to read enough. Uh, Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. his why is touching the way he looks at that. And as a leader, he has a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. He understands people. And, and I think that's so important. As a leader, you need to understand the people. And his focus is on them and the byproduct is a successful business. Yeah. Oh, great. Really good. Simon Sinek. Uh, look, it's, it's been a real pleasure um, speaking with you today, Danny. And I know there's a lot of people out there who would like to learn more about I Forgive and the things that you do. What is, how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way to connect with you? Look, iforgive.com, the letter I, number four, in honor of the four children, give, G-I-V-E, dot com. You can get online there. There's an email there if you want to reach out to myself. And there's some good resources about forgiveness if you want to apply it to your life or even to your business uh, businesses as well. Yeah, beautiful. And look, it's, it's just been a real honor to sit here with you today. I really enjoyed our conversation about you as a leader of your yourself, of your business, of your family, of humanity, and taking us through that, you know, how you overcome some challenges early on in your life, um, how you didn't let that get you down and hold you back. You allowed that actually to help you grow as you move through life and um, to, to learn about the importance of when you're going into a job, go and work for a boss, not for a company, and to find someone that you really want to learn from and, uh, and be mentored by in a way to, to grow as a human being. The tragedy that your family have been through, um, most of us will never be able to understand fully um, how that can affect someone. But to hear the way that you can lead with humility and compassion to help other people shift their mindset away how they approach things in life that are challenges is really empowering, you know, and I, you know, it's even got me a little bit emotional right now, but I I really appreciate that. And to see what you're doing now and the way that you're taking things forward. And I know um, we're talking with Sam Cawthorn, who you're working with at the moment. And and I see a big smile on your face. Uh, It's a real pleasure to see you connecting together and, and seeing you grow as well. And I love uh, how people bring the right people into their proximity to ensure that what their purpose is in life um, really gets achieved out there and, and you need people around you. So thank you very much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. It's been a, been a wonderful conversation. Thank you very much for the conversation as well. Very happy. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders Movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag inspiring great leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next inspiring great 
Leaders Podcast. Where the ordinary don't belong.